And now it's time We're for the wild side news. Right. That our plans work, that our luck holds. Sydney Wildside. But then sometimes things don't go as planned. Today we bring you two summer features that help you out when the unexpected happens, when your voice of the earth continues here on the Wild Side News. Wildside News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. They say the show must go on, and I'm a dedicated believer in that. And this show is going on, albeit a bit later than planned. Stuff happens, and when it does, you need to know what to do. That's what we focus on in today's show. Yesterday, I heard the talk that a whole slew of my friends had been hit by a vicious computer virus that essentially wipes out your operating system. It comes on as a warning that you have a virus and asks if you want to scan and destroy it. Yes or no? Well, in the frenzy and fear of the attack, you click yes. Zap. Goodbye, good day. Hello, hell. It's calling the professionals to restore your information, reformat your drive, and reload all your system and software. Well, yesterday, as I was preparing this show, wham, there was the warning. Thank God my computer wizard, Darwin, had told me to shut the system off immediately, which I did. And then I had the presence of mind to restart in safe mode, and, well, I avoided the huge crash. And then this morning, while I was backing up everything, once again, before I finalized the show, I ran into a backup glitch, and then was literally hit by an earthquake, 5.8 in L.A., shook the timbers here in San Diego. Thank God, so far, their quake seems to have caused only minor damage, knocking cans of corn off a supermarket shelf or two. But wake-up calls, yes, they happen, and it's good to pay attention. So today, I feature two segments on what to do when bad luck strikes. Coming up, we learn what to do if you should find yourself face-to-face -face with a rattlesnake. I have, and I have some sweat-streaming stories to tell about it, but that's for another day. And what to do if, God forbid, you get bitten. And then in segment two, we hear from someone whose passion it is to help find the lost hikers, she and her rescue dog. We hear about their valiant work around the year, in all situations and all conditions. You'll learn what's involved, and there'll be a few surprises. So, not to challenge this moment of peace, let's get started and learn what to do when rattlesnakes bite. One thing that people think about, but they perhaps don't think about as seriously as they might, without overemphasizing it, is the possibility of uh, snake bites. And so, uh, in the interest of, of public information, uh, we're talking with someone who has real hands-on experience with this. Joining us now from Loma Linda, California, is Dr. Sean Bush, who is a staff emergency physician. He works in, in, in emergency rooms, and he deals with snake bites. Dr. Bush, welcome to the Wild Side News. Thank you very much. 
Well, uh, our topic today is going to be snake bites, and apparently you have had some real experience with this. Why don't you, first of all, just kind of give us a background on, on how it is that you have such an interest and, and specialization in this area. Well, I've been fascinated by reptiles all my life. Uh, one of my very first pets was a venomous snake, and uh, I was about five years old. My grandfather gave it to me, but uh, it wasn't dangerously venomous, but it, it was a it was a hognose snake, but it was venomous nonetheless and makes a good story, but it kind of sparked a fascination that lasted my whole life. And now I'm doing emergency medicine up here, and I, I treat patients for snake bites. We kind of have a a lot of snake bites that happen here because we're in an area where urbanization meets the wilderness, you know? Uh-huh. And, and that's possibly one of the most dangerous areas. In very many urban and suburban areas, there are snakes. Absolutely. It is one of the most dangerous areas, you know, and, and deep wilderness areas uh, are not as dangerous, I guess, because, uh, because people don't get out there as much, I guess present audience excluded, and, you know, the inner cities, there's not quite as many snake bites, of course, because, because of habitat destruction and the, there's not as many animals. But right here, uh, out in Southern California, you get a lot of urban sprawl just spreading into wilderness areas, whether it's the mountains or the desert. And, and that's where a lot of people come in contact with snakes, fortunately and unfortunately. Well, the statistics are kind of interesting. The American Hiking Society is really focusing on this because uh, they, they have people who get out into the woods and, and hit, hit into the trails, they have some interesting statistics. One is that about 75 million people actually head out into the trails in a year, and during that time, there's about 45,000 snake bites. Of those, about seven to 8,000 are venomous, and of those, perhaps there's a dozen deaths per year, uh, deaths being the ultimate fear. So in terms of people going out and thinking if they get bitten by a snake, that they're going to die, which is kind of one of the myths, the urban myths, and <laughs> suburban and, and rural myths, I guess. Quite honestly, the chance of dying from a snake bite are, are fairly rare. Sure, sure. It's, it's rare. I mean, in fact, those statistics you quoted are, are, are probably a couple of decades old, and, and nowadays probably fewer than half a dozen people die per year from snake bites, if that many. And uh, I think probably the secret to... Uh, to survival is um, rapid access to emergency medical care, anti-venom, and state-of-the-art medical care. And so for, for the hikers, I think that it's important to note that uh, one of the best pieces of first aid that you can have for snake bite is a cell phone. And if you, if you get bitten, call 911, and you'd be surprised at some of the places where we can get you. You know, I, I volunteer with the sheriff's uh, air rescue here. And with with San Bernardino County, and we've extracted some people out of some pretty deep wilderness situations. And that cell phone comes in comes in real handy when you're trying to locate somebody on the ground from a helicopter. Sure, exactly. You know, they they can call up and say, "Yeah, hey, I see you there. Here I am." Exactly. Right. A little later on, we're going to talk about uh, what happens if you get bit. Let's talk about how you can avoid getting bitten. What are some of the things that people should be aware of in terms of trying to avoid being bitten by a snake? Well, you know, most bites are, are what I call intentionally interactive, and that means the person's trying to mess with a snake or kill the snake or, or get too close. And so uh, the vast majority of bites could be avoided if people would just leave the snake alone, you know? Don't mess with it. I mean, it's, it's kind of un-American. I mean, isn't, that, isn't there a saying that goes, don't tread on me, that, 
that uh, that kind of uh, rings true for this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so if you just if you just leave them alone and, and appreciate them from a distance, I mean, that's probably the best thing you can do at prevention. Now, you know, I've treated I've treated mountain bikers and rock climbers and people who are have been accidentally bitten. You know, out of and it's not you know it's not their fault. It's not their, you know it's not in, under their control always. You know, you can you can do some some other things too to avoid being bitten. You know, if you go out into the snakes environment, you know, the wilderness. I mean, do things like. Wear protective clothing. Wear boots when you can. Um, don't bl- put your hand in places where you can't see. Obvious things like that. Mm-hmm. I, I believe that snakes would have a very difficult time going through a leather boot. As a matter of fact, we did a study, and small snakes can't. You I mean very often? This is not a hundred percent, but small snakes often can't bite through your jeans. Now, on occasion, a big rattlesnake can bite through a leather boot. I've seen it happen, and a fang can certainly penetrate a boot. And, and deliver, uh, you know, a serious envenomation. But um, that's the exception rather than the rule. And most of the time, well, I mean, you do everything you can to try to avoid getting bit. Mm-hmm. So wearing protective clothing is a, is a first layer of defense. Well, I would say the first layer of defense is just don't mess with the snake. Good, good point. They're not, they're not out to attack you. They're not trying to eat you or they don't want to seek a fight with you. And that's, that's a snake's last resort. Mm-hmm. So first line of defense is leave them alone, and then the next, because and they'll, and they'll more often than not leave you alone in in those inadvertent situations when when uh, when you need some protection. I mean, protective clothing is uh, is a good line of defense. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you're walking along a trail, and this has happened to me, and I'm telling you, it it's a wake up call. I'm I'm also very cautious. I lived in the desert southwest around Santa Fe and New Mexico, and you had to be aware of rattlers. All the time. Anytime you're outdoors, you had to be watching where you were going and be, being conscious because they blended in so perfectly with the environment. You just am, you almost couldn't see them. Sure. But you, I found myself any number of times, a few times, uh, where there I was and I ran across a snake and then all of a sudden they put on their, their, their warning, uh, behaviors, which is the, a variety of things, the rattling, the coiling, the pulling back of the head. If you find yourself in that situation, there's kind of levels of, of danger. One is just how close you are. Talk about the capacity for a snake in that situation uh, to, to attack. What, what, what's going to happen depending on sort of your proximity? Well, it, it, uh, snakes can only strike about a half to maybe up to two-thirds their body length. And out here in Southern California, the biggest snake uh, rarely exceeds six feet. So, I mean, if you stay at least six feet away, and for most people that's, you know, a couple of big steps back, you're out of the snake strike range. And and you can appreciate and enjoy uh, the snake at that distance. You know, they're they're fascinating animals. They're, they're fun to watch. They're interesting. But they don't move that fast. They can only crawl at a rate of about two or three miles per hour. Mm-hmm. But if you get in their strike range, they can strike extraordinarily fast, much faster than you can pull away. I believe it's about a 50th of a second. It happens extremely fast. Yeah, the um, nerve can't travel to your brain and back, you know, for you to pull your hand away. The snake, mm-hmm. snake got you if you want mm-hmm. to strike at you, if you're in the strike range. I've been in a couple situations where, for example, I was stepping and literally saw a snake under where I was stepping. And uh, my reaction, just literally, I, I just leapt back. Uh, uh, reflexively, 
Um, the snake could have bit me if it wanted to, but it didn't. I think that, and I'm, I'm trying to reinforce the point here, that snakes really have no interest in attacking. As a matter of fact, they're, they're probably going to only do that if they sense somehow that you're willfully or even accidentally. But, I mean, that they have the sense that, that something is attacking them. Right. I mean, striking you, biting you and making contact with a human is the last thing that a snake wants to do. It's very counterproductive to survival if you're a rattlesnake. So they don't, they don't want to do that. In fact, most of the time, uh, if, if, if you come across a snake, it'll just freeze. It won't move, and hopefully you'll overlook it. And that's actually what the snake wants to do first, is it, it, wants, to be, it wants to be missed. It, just, it wants you not to see it. So that's why a lot of these snakes have camouflage. And uh, there's other types of snakes, like coral snakes that are brightly colored, but they, and, and they have a different message. They want you to think that uh, they're dangerous. But they don't. They don't want to make contact. That's the last thing they want to do because it's, it's uh, counterproductive to their survival. Mm-hmm. Well, let's say that you find yourself. You're walking along, and you and and suddenly you're aware that there is a snake within striking distance. What's the best thing to do in a point like that? Well, you know, I think most, the best thing you do is use common sense and, and to, just to stay out of the snake strike range if you can. If you get into the strike range, you know, you got to get out of it. I mean, you just you just have to get out of it. You can't stay there indefinitely and. And, and sometimes, I mean, I just tell people to step back. If you, if you kind of are deliberate and careful about your movements, a lot of times you can just step right out of a snake strike range. I mean, I, I've stepped too close to rattlesnakes before, and if you just, you know, step back deliberately and slowly, they, they probably won't strike you. I mean, there's no guarantees. It is a wild animal, and it is unpredictable. But you have no real, real option. If you're too close, you need to get farther, you know? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what happens if you're unfortunate enough to be bitten by a snake. Now, there's just because you're bitten by a snake doesn't mean necessarily that it's been a mistake. Uh, I've been bitten by garter snakes and uh, bull snakes, and um, many of them even act like and imitate uh, rattlers. And I'm telling you, I one time mishandled a snake. Again, I was I was messing around with a snake, uh, thinking I knew what I was doing, and it bit me, and I and it uh, coiled up. It shook its tail. Sure. I'm thinking it's a rattler, but because of where I was in Minnesota, they didn't have rattlers there. And I just kind of kept watching and hoping I wouldn't swell up. So non-venomous snakes bite as well. But let's say that you are bitten by a snake. Let's talk about some of the things that people should do. And I'm going to preface this by saying that as I've grown up, what I've heard you're supposed to do, this is what I think is common common uh, knowledge or, or belief about what you should do, number one is um, tourniquet. Right away, put a tourniquet between uh, the bite and your heart, number two. Oh, now, see, i got to stop you right there. I just can't even, I can't stand to hear that perpetuated. Even well, I'm very go- old we're, we're going to destroy this. We're going to totally destroy this. That's why I'm bringing it up, because a lot of people think, oh, that's what I heard. I'm just saying what, what people have, and I appreciate that. But then the other is to lance and suck out the venom. Let's talk about what, what you know to be the proper action. Well, first of all, like you say, not all bites are venomous. There are lots of snakes that, that sort of resemble rattlesnakes that uh, can be mistaken for rattlesnakes that, that can and do bite people like gopher snakes or bull snakes, and they'll imitate and rattle their tail and make a lot of, a lot of noise. But, uh, you know, here in Southern California, rattlesnake has a very characteristic look and has a, ta- you know, has a, has a blunt tail with a rattle on the end. The tail does not taper like most snakes that aren't dangerous would. And we don't recommend that old stuff from decades ago, the Boy Scouts cut and suck the venom out, 
matter how hard you suck. And we've experimented with this, and we've even used, uh, you know, this Venom Sawyer extractor device, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work. It doesn't pull venom out, and it can actually make things worse. It can cause damage. And I certainly wouldn't recommend cutting, you know, because you don't know if you're cutting over nerves or arteries or veins or whatever. And tourniquets, you know, those aren't any good either. I mean, it's not good to put a tourniquet on, particularly if you're going to have it on for a prolonged period of time. And there's some controversy regarding a technique that they use in Australia called pressure immobilization. And for certain snake bites, like Australian snake bites, there's there's some benefit because it's going to slow the spread of the venom. But with rattlesnakes, the problem is more related to the the local effects, and it can cause such intense local effects that you don't necessarily want to localize it or to keep it from spreading because it can intensify the effects. So pressure mobilization is placing an ace wrap and uh, a splint on it as tight as you would like a sprain. But I would probably reserve that for the very rare snake bite, like like a Mojave rattlesnake bite, that where you wouldn't expect there to be local effects or, or severe local effects, and and there might be very severe systemic effects. So for the for the masses, I wouldn't recommend any first aid. I think the best first aid is calling nine one one. And if there's question regarding the identity of the snake, a lot of these uh, cell phones have camera phones. Uh, and you can take a digital image, and your doctor can see right there. Is it a gopher snake? Is it a rattlesnake? What is it? Uh, right there on the camera phone, and you can take the picture from at least six feet away to keep yourself out of danger. So just another reason to carry your cell phone, especially if it's a camera phone, in your pack. Identification can help. You know, if, you, if you're not sure what kind of a snake it is, take a picture of it. It may, it may make a difference if it's a gopher snake or a rattlesnake. I mean, that's important to know. Uh, and, and doctors should be able to distinguish a rattlesnake from, from a gopher snake, for instance. So, But if you don't have a cell phone, I get this question all the time. What if I'm deep in the wilderness, far from medical care, what should I do? Right, that is kind of the challenge. And, of course, 911 is, is optimal if you have that. But if you don't, I mean, you're just going to have to get yourself to medical care, whatever it takes. And, you know, every circumstance is slightly different. I mean, generally, you should hike with a partner if you can. You know, it's kind of like having a dive buddy or anytime you go into a wilderness situation, it's better to have, uh, you know, it's better to go more with more than one person so that, so that in case a situation like this, you know, if you get snake bitten or whatever, that you can send for help or you can be carried to help or whatever, whatever it takes. But if you're by yourself and you're bitten by a snake, and you don't have a cell phone, I mean, you're faced with no choice but to hike out to get medical care, and that's what you got to do. What would you recommend people doing specifically in that situation? What should, what actions should they take at that point? Well, I mean, you try, I mean, you try to be calm, try not to panic. You can do some things, like if you're bitten on the, well, I mean, if you're bitten anywhere, you can start removing things like rings because you're going to swell up. Snake venom makes you swell. And if you're bitten on the hand, for instance, and your hand swells up, you can't get the ring off. I mean, that kind of creates a tourniquet effect. Yeah. So you can remove rings. Um, and basically, the bottom line is just get to medical care. Mm-hmm. You're basically saying get the help, get get walk your way out. Well, if that's your only option, first of all, be prudent. You know, carry a cell phone, go with a partner. And so, if it, but if it's your last resort and you have to walk. I mean, that's all, and that's the only choice you have. I mean, you've kind of painted yourself into a circle, you know. 
get to medical care is the bottom line, whatever it takes. Now, from the point that you're bitten by a venomous snake, and let's, we're talking now about this worst-case scenario, or a situation where you're just, you, you could be in the woods, but you still don't have your cell phone, you got to walk out. What kind of time frame? I realize it varies, but what sort of general time frame do you have before this potentially starts becoming more difficult? And then the second question would be, what are the signs that things are, are getting uh, out of control? Well, the time frame is extraordinarily variable. I mean, you could die in minutes or you could die in weeks. It depends on what you die from if it's a, if it's a fatal snake bite. There have been cases of anaphylaxis, and, and people are, are dead within minutes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, if you have kidney failure, well, that usually takes a couple of weeks to kill you, untreated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it really depends. I mean, the sooner you get to anti-venom, the better. Mm-hmm. The sooner you get to medical treatment, uh, the better you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how people survive in the United States. It's like I said, rapid access to medical care and state-of-the-art medical care and anti-venoms. Uh, IV fluids are helpful. So that, that's the main thing. Mm-hmm. And what was the second part of your question? What would be signs that things are becoming difficult for you? What would you begin to experience? What uh, I realize that varies again, too. Well, Changes in your mental state, uh, obviously fear is one thing, but I'm talking about perhaps induced by venom, uh, physical feelings of illness or discomfort. Some of the first things that are very common to happen after snake bite are swelling. Uh, you can swell up, and uh, usually it starts at the bite, and, and, and moves up the extremity if you're bitten on the arm and the leg. It'll start to, your arm or your leg will start to swell. You can have bleeding problems. You can have muscle twitching, difficulty breathing, and that's kind of the progression. You can have uh, low blood pressure. It can prog- progress to shock and so that your your brain is not perfused, and, and, and you can have some mental status changes associated with that too. Now how about ice packs or heat packs or anything like that? You know, it doesn't work. It doesn't help. In fact, it can, and that, too, can cause more problems. I mean, people get overzealous with ice packs, and, and in, in days past, they used to recommend, you know, demerging the bitten extremity in, in ice, and that was called cryotherapy, but then people would get frostbite wounds on top of their snake bite wounds, and, you know, two wrongs don't make a right, and people don't get, uh, get better that way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't help with the envenomation, and it can cause additional insult to injury. So it's not recommended. So finally a person makes it to medical care. What are they looking at at that point? Well, once you get to medical care, you're going to see how you know how the envenomation is progressing, if it's a venomous bite or a dry bite. And then there's anti-venom to be given. You know, for pit viper bites, we use Crofab. How is that typically administered? Well, it's given intravenously. Um, you start off with uh, four to six vials, and you try to get control of the envenomation syndrome. And you want to see if you can stop the envenomation from progressing in terms of swelling and local effects. And then you want to see if you can correct any bleeding abnormalities that a patient might have or any other systemic abnormalities. Mm-hmm. And we follow a patient's labs. And How long does it usually take before things are stabilized? I realize all of these things are variable, to, sure. they're completely variable. And as you say, depending on a person's own sensitivity to the bite, and just there's so many variables. But typically, you know, since you've... You've treated, what, 50 or 60, you say, bites, what is it, per year, is it? Right. Yeah. Well, then you have some experience. Give us a sense of, um, you know, from the time that a person comes into your care, how long do you have to follow this and kind of what's what are some of the variables? Well, I mean, as I said, the sooner you get antivenom on board, the better. I mean, it progresses over time, and, and 
you got if you get the anti-venom on, on board, you can usually get things stabilized within 24 hours. But it takes uh, then you can have recurrence phenomenon, so it can take a couple of weeks for that to clear up. So really, I guess the subacute phase of rattlesnake bite treatment is about uh, two weeks or so, mm-hmm. and then then you have to monitor even longer than that for a re- re- you know full return of function. And, and sometimes people with really bad bites may not get full function until you know up to a year after the snake bite. And some people never regain full function. I mean, a small percentage of patients have permanent disability and permanent sequelae from snake bite, like like the loss of uh, the uh, loss of a finger or a toe, or the loss of the function of a finger, for instance. We discussed uh, briefly some of the costs of this. That alone is a good reason to be prepared. Make sure that you go out uh, with your cell phone, uh, properly dressed. Be aware. Don't put your hands in the wrong place. Uh, don't go walking through tall grass. It's just all the common sense things because, quite honestly, the backside of this is what it could cost you for, for the treatments. Absolutely. Medicine is expensive, particularly uh, sophisticated medications like anti-venom. I think the the cost of pharmacy for Crofab, for instance, is about a thousand dollars a vial, and our starting dose, as I mentioned, was four to six vials, and and before you get out of the hospital, you may have a dozen vials or more. So that's that's quite a lot for just the antivenom. On top of that, you have to have expensive monitoring, and and doctors and nursing can be expensive, and other medications possibly like intravenous fluids. You may need ICU care or close observation, lab draws. It's quite expensive. Mm-hmm. Medicine is expensive. So if you do end up being unfortunate enough to be bitten by a snake, you're, it's going to cost you some dough. It's, it's going to cost somebody some dough, you know. I mean, we're going to treat, every, we treat everybody. I mean, that's the law. You know, emergency physicians treat anybody who comes. A snake bite is definitely an emergency medical condition. So it's nice if you have insurance. Of course, uh, there's places where people can go that where other, there's other, other coverage, I guess, like county systems and that sort of thing. But snake bites, emergency medical condition, you got to seek medical care immediately. We're talking with Dr. Sean Bush, who's a staff emergency physician. Uh, you've also uh, taken this information and made it available to the public through the Animal Planet channel. Right. I try to talk about, you know, educate people about snake bite as best I can in every forum I can think of or in every forum I'm invited. And one of the places is we had a show. Uh, it's rerunning right now. It's called Venom ER, and it's on Animal Planet. In fact, I think the next episode airs this Saturday, April 8th at 1 p.m. It's an interesting show. It basically just chronicles my treatment of patients with venomous bites and stings. And one of the predominant, one of the most dangerous animals in the U.S. of A. is uh, the rattlesnake, and I see a lot of rattlesnake bites. That'll be this Saturday. April 8th on Animal Planet at 1 p.m. Pacific time. A great chance for us to see to see you in person. Right, and if you want to watch more of the episodes, just check the Animal Planet website and do a search for Venom ER. Terrific. I want to thank you for, for giving us this extremely useful information. I think it's, it's uh, helped people really realize the best actions if they should be unfortunate enough to find themselves bitten and also some great preventative measures that they can take so that that never happens or the chance is totally minimized. Dr. Sean Bush, thanks a lot for lending your voice here on the Wild Side News. Sure thing. I hope it's helpful. It's all part of being a responsible hiker to enjoy your adventures prepared at all times for the real world of wonders. Well, since you're already thinking about what to do when things go wrong, coming up, 
You'll learn about those dedicated search and rescue dogs and their owners who are there to find you or your friends and family when something goes wrong on the trail. That's coming up when your Voice of the Earth continues here on the Wild Side News. Welcome back to the Wild Side News. And now, Sydney Wildsmith. Next time you find yourself lost on the side of some remote mountainside, just some simple misstep on a path or a misread on the map and a few moments of confusion and disorientation and then the realization that you are really lost. As you wander, trying to find your way to discovery back home, your family and friends realize that something is wrong. Search and Rescue heads up to find you, and when they do, they call the experts. Yep, the canine search teams. When they come back, the canine search and rescue dogs here on the Wild Side News. Thank you. 